Hey, hello and welcome to the Middle East Forums webinar series, Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman and I'll be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Mr. Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forums Israel office, join us here each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes, then open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type out your question. Now, with no further ado, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey, and uh, good evening from Israel. Um, lots going on in Israel. I know lots going on in the US at the moment, uh, but uh, I'm going to focus on Israel for the next half an hour. Um, and uh, since we last we spoke, which has been at least two weeks, two weeks is a long time in Israeli politics, two days is a long time. Uh, we've gone for the fourth elections as predicted uh, in a year and a half. So the first question we have to answer is how we got here. We, we've been talking for quite a while about uh, these exit points that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu purposely put into the coalition agreement or rather left out of the coalition agreement that uh, if a budget isn't passed in a certain amount of time, elections are called without Netanyahu having to give over uh, by ministerials, uh, Prime Minister's office to Benny Gantz, which is uh, a requirement for all other situations. Uh, basically, we got to a situation where neither there, was the, there were threats and certainly uh, Netanyahu uh, wanted elections, but he didn't want elections so soon, in fact, nor did Gantz. But we got to a situation remarkably where the decision was taken out of both of their hands. Netanyahu no longer had a majority to prevent uh, the elections from uh, basically being called. There was all these last ditch attempts to try and work out some negotiations. Some believe it was there was never a real intention to do so, but what there was, was to try and delay it at least a few days to try and hammer out something. Netanyahu wants elections, uh, but he wanted it later. Uh, Gantz doesn't want elections because he's basically falling off the political map. From a party in the last elections that got into the mid thirties, they are now polling at uh, five and there's been a whole host of defections from blue and white. Basically out of the original, I believe 35 or 36 they received, uh, there's only, I believe, five or six people left in blue and white. Uh, obviously, we know Yeshatid left blue and white, or rather Benny Gantz left Yeshatid out in the cold when he joined the government. Uh, but there's been many, many uh, high-profile uh, defections. Uh, Avi Nissenkorn, the justice minister, left uh, to form a new party with uh, Tel Aviv Mayor Juan Khodayi. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And uh, quite a few other people. Uh, are either retiring from politics or have left uh, to seek uh, places in, in other lists. But so uh, the reason Netanyahu didn't want it uh, when it was is because what I'm sure everybody has seen in the media is a very successful vaccination program. Israel leads the world, and we're being told this every single day. I think about 15 to 16% of the population have already been vaccinated. It is a tremendous success, and Prime Minister Netanyahu deserves certainly a lot of credit for that uh, but Netanyahu wanted at the moment elections are scheduled for March 27th because uh, according to the quasi-constitution that we have in Israel uh, when elections are called because of a lack of a budget then they have to be three months to the day so there was no discussions about the date which they usually are if, uh, if there would have been an agreement or dispersal of Knesset there's even a three to four month window where there could be some negotiations as to where the elections are held 
but because it's March 27th, uh, that's quite early. Um, and it's possible that the vaccination program won't have finished by then. It's, it's very possible that it will be close to being finished. And will that give enough time for uh, Netanyahu uh, to really you know, show that the country is over coronavirus? He keeps on talking about we will be the first country or one of the first countries in the world to be beyond coronavirus, uh, something which is certainly looking good at this point. Um, but uh, there's a feeling that March was a little bit too soon. He would have preferred April or even May where the economy uh, could have got back uh, on, on course by then. Um, but basically, so that's, that's why we're at elections. The interesting thing about this is we really see a shakeup uh, of the blocks and the biggest, uh, not wholly unexpected, but certainly biggest surprise at these elections was uh, the defection or the leaving of Gidon Saar from his political home for quite a many number of years. He was always seen as a candidate to uh, take over from Netanyahu. One that once Netanyahu would step aside, he, he was one of the greater threats uh, to Netanyahu, as Netanyahu showed uh, earlier last year when there was a contest, but a contest between the two of them for the leadership in the Likud. Netanyahu basically won three quarters of the vote, uh, which was higher than most expected. I expected it to be a little bit closer, uh, but Likud, Likud voters, especially the, the committee members, are very loyal to leaders. They've never replaced a leader in the history of the movement, the political movement. Um, but the fact is that Gidon Saar left and immediately he became a lightning rod for all sorts of those who are just uh, disappointed with Netanyahu, whether from the right, center or left. And what we've seen is that he is polling at the moment between, I think the first time he got 22, now he's polling a little bit lower than that. But what we do see, what, what's really interesting is that, uh, and I saw this for the first time the other day, is now when commentators are putting up uh, uh, maps of the, uh, the potential seats, it used to be right, left, perhaps center um, in recent year or two since the first of these you know, ongoing elections, they used to leave Liebman out. There was a right-wing block, a right-wing religious block, a left-center block, and then there was Liebman. What they're doing now is they're having uh, those who are part of Netanyahu's block, which is basically Likud and the two ultra-Orthodox parties. And then we see those who are who have specifically said we will not sit with Netanyahu, which is everybody else except Naftali Bennett. Naftali Bennett has been extremely careful, the leader of Yamina, which is polling uh, between 13 and 15, uh, depending on, on the poll. Uh, he basically took a great hit when Gidon Saar left because uh, started his own party, because as we know, Naftali Bennett was really seen as the alternative uh, to uh, Netanyahu and was receiving even support from the left because they saw him, A, as an alternative, the only serious alternative to Netanyahu, also because he spoke very clearly about how to get out of the coronavirus situation and get the economy working uh, quickly, which is obviously a big issue here. But when uh, Saar entered the race, he really took his numbers down uh, by at least a third, if not more. Uh, but he's still polling pretty, uh, pretty well. Um, but he has said specifically he will not rule out sitting with Netanyahu in fact, uh, about a week, maybe a little bit more, uh, Naftali Bennett held a press conference, which was uh, live on all the major news channels, where he said, I see myself as a candidate for prime minister's office, which is a very clever move. First of all, it puts him front and center, but also it means 
the question that will be asked whether he will uh, uh, suggest or recommend to the president after the elections whether he recommends uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu to form a coalition. When that question is asked, as it is asked daily of every person, every uh, politician, leader of a party, he can say, I will recommend myself. So it, he can evade the question of whether he would recommend Netanyahu or not. Uh, but the point is that uh, the, the, the major, major challenger at this point is Gidon Saar. Gidon Saar has said he will not sit in a Netanyahu-led government. He hasn't ruled out uh, if Netanyahu will be a member of his government um, uh, or whether if certainly he would sit very happily with Likud. Uh, but he has said he will not sit with Netanyahu. But don't forget, we heard that from Gantz. And I can tell you in the Knesset, uh, speaking to a lot of MKs from left, right, and center, a lot of the people don't think uh, they can rely too much on the, those sort of statements. And they believe that uh, if the time comes, just like Gantz did, who claimed for the longest time, he will no way sit uh, with Netanyahu, that Saar would eventually sit with Netanyahu. Netanyahu has said that he's not going to do another rotation, no matter what the situation. Again, once the issue of rotation is out there, once he's given it to one player, it's very hard for him to say, I'm never going to do it again, especially if the other side has a very strong hand. But what is very interesting, at the moment, Netanyahu's block, which, as I said, only is three parties, uh, according to the most recent poll, is 43. Now, the magic numbers we all know is 61. Where does he get those other 18? Bennett is probably not going to get 18. I, I don't see it. So the only other real player uh, left in um, is Saar. Uh, so basically, Netanyahu knows that he probably needs Saar. He certainly needs Bennett. And what we do see is Netanyahu uh, taking a little bit of the pressure off Bennett. They used to, they used to attack each other uh, regularly, but that, that was taken down a notch or two. Um, so Saar is the main contender because they're, they're going after the same votes, but there doesn't seem to be a way that Netanyahu could form a government without Gidon Saar. The question is whether Gidon Saar will hold true. If Gidon Saar does hold true to his word, he can probably go to Bennett, Lieberman, Lapid, Un Chodai, um, and Gantz, perhaps. There's a question whether he'll pass the threshold at the moment. He's teetering very, very close to the threshold, but together, according to the most recent poll, they would get over that number of 61. They are all adamantly anti-BB. Uh, they've all been burnt by him. They've all worked very closely with him. Uh, Lapid less so, but he certainly was, he was a finance minister in the government of, uh, of, of BB. But all the others, uh, again, probably apart from Khodai, are ideologically right-wing. Uh, they would sit comfortably with Likud, but they are just fed up personally with uh, Netanyahu. The question is whether, first of all, these poll results actually happen on election night and whether they will hold their nerve, whether all these disparate parties can get together uh, just for that one reason, get Netanyahu out, if that is their purpose, whether they can find common ground, whether they can divvy up the, uh, all the different ministries that you need to do uh, when there's a government. So that there's, there's, there's a lot in play at the moment, uh, but those are basically... The, the big issues of the elections are coronavirus and the economy. We're in our third lockdown. I believe we're one of the first nations in the world to go into a third lockdown. Uh, as of tomorrow night, it's going to be even stricter. Uh, there's a lot of anger out there. A lot of people are going to be losing their jobs. Um, small businesses are completely closed, have been closed already for two weeks. They're going to be closed for another two weeks. 
Um, so there's there's a lot of anger, and don't forget we've spoken about it in the past that um, the bastion of Likud is lower socioeconomic people from the so-called periphery. These are the people going to be most targeted by any sort of uh, uh, you know layoffs or whatever it is. Uh, Yisrael Katz, the finance minister and prime minister Netanyahu, have talked about giving a lot of uh, payments out to, to small businesses, to freelance workers, uh, etc. Uh, but at the moment, they've been very slow to do so. For all their promises, uh, an economist suggested uh, in this morning's TV, they've given out about 5% in total of what they promised they would give out. So promises aren't necessarily worth a lot in the eyes of much of the general public. Uh, so these are the issues uh, that will take center stage. The big question uh, which will, uh, many voters will be asking themselves is, do I want Prime Minister Netanyahu to continue uh, in his role? Next week uh, is going to see the restart of his criminal case. He's going to have to appear in court. He's been trying to delay it as much as possible. One last hurdle uh, seems to have been taken away from him. He tried to delay it uh, uh, further and the court just ruled recently that they will not delay it further. So we're going to have to get used to seeing a prime minister relatively regularly uh, sitting in a Jerusalem district court, uh, hearing all sorts of accusations from all sorts of witnesses. Uh, so that could uh, play a role. But the vaccines, as I said, is a great success and Netanyahu takes any opportunity to play it up, which he should do as a politician. Tomorrow, Moderna, the first Moderna uh, vaccines are going to be arriving. I'm sure we'll have some sort of uh, photo up. Uh, with Netanyahu to try and make sure that the issue uh, and the headlines are about the vaccines. Uh, but we're going to hear a lot more from all these issues over the next uh, few weeks ahead of that March election date. So with that, I'm happy to answer any questions on this or any other issues. All right, thank you so much. So the first question we have in is, how do the Israelis see the normalization of relations between the Gulf states and Qatar? Um, well, most Israelis <laughs> won't be following this, but the, the analysts, um, some say that there could be uh, a relation to Israel, and many argue that it will have nothing to do with Israel. There are those who believe that this could pave the way for Saudi-Israel normalization because Qatar have, a, you know, hold a great hand in the fact that they run the Al Jazeera uh, international news network, media network, which is very powerful, especially in the Arab world. And Qatar have used that as leverage uh, many times. And that was one of the reasons why uh, many of the neighbors of Qatar, including Saudi Arabia and the UAE, basically have been boycotting Qatar for the last few years. Um, but we've already seen Al Jazeera take a more moderate tone uh, towards its neighbors in the last few days, which could signal uh, a change uh, with basically what the Qataris are telling uh, Al Jazeera. Um, so the question, so some say that that could remove one of the big obstacles uh, towards uh, Saudi-Israel uh, normalization because that will take one of the big potential critics out of uh, off the table. Uh, my, my view is this has very little to do with Israel. This has got more to do with uh, Joe Biden, uh, President-elect Biden, uh, the Iranian deal. Uh, Saudis know that under the Democratic administration, they're going to get a much harder time. Uh, you know, they had a very close, they have a very close relationship uh, to the Trump administration, and uh, they know that they'll get a bit of a frosty reception. Uh, so they're trying to uh, unify the forces in the region, uh, especially as what's being seen as a, a potential attempt 
to rejoin the JCPOA, the uh, Iran nuclear deal. So I think that's what it's more about. Could there be some, it, it certainly helps Israel, the fact that Qatar is now back in. Uh, that's the sort of the, uh, the Gulf uh, Cooperation Council. Um, but I, I don't necessarily think that this is the last hurdle uh, between Israel and Saudi normalization. Understood. So do most Israelis believe in the scientific and medical justification for the strong measures taken by the government to beat the coronavirus? Interestingly enough, there was just a poll taken tonight and it's a left-right divide. Uh, they usually take, you know, how you self-identify, if you self-identify as right wing, then you tend to agree with this stricter lockdown. If you're left wing, then you're less likely to uh, believe that this is just uh, on medical or let's say on, on you know, epidemiological, epidemiological uh, grounds, uh, more political reasons. Um, but on the whole, the public does believe that there is, a, there is a reason to this. They see the numbers going up. Israel has a higher per capita uh, number of cases every day than even the US at the moment. And we know things are, are not great in the US. Um, so Israel's definitely, it's, it's getting out of hand a little bit. Uh, we keep on talking about in Israel what we call the British mutation, uh, basically, which seems to spread a lot quicker. And it's clear that that is in Israel. They've been talking about now the South African mutation, which not only spreads quicker, they say is potentially more dangerous, especially for younger people. And they think that that could well also be in Israel. So there, there's definitely a, a, a need for some sort of measures. Uh, what's clear is that uh, we wasted two weeks uh, before the sort of half lockdown, which didn't achieve much except shutter many businesses. Perhaps they should have had the stricter lockdown two weeks ago and maybe we'd be on our way out of it by now. Um, but the numbers are certainly escalating and getting out of control. And for the first time they say, I just read a report that there was a hospital that had to make a decision not to treat someone with COVID because they were just overstaffed. You know, we heard reports uh, from Italy right at the beginning of the coronavirus of that happening, but this is the first time it's happened in Israel. And that's certainly given a lot of people a lot of uh, pause to, to reflect and, and understand that something needs to be done. And have you guys had any cases of the new variant of COVID there? As I said, yes, we, we do know that the British, they call it the British mutation. <laughs> It's a lot less subtle than the, than the London variant or whatever they're calling it elsewhere. Here they call it openly the British mutation, which makes me as a, a, you know, a former English person very, very you know, fascinated. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's clear that uh, there, there was a big worry about it. And, and there, was, there was a day when they, when they understood that it was coming over that, that basically they dragged everyone, not literally, off the, off the plane from London and put them in uh, Corona uh, hotels. They've now closed those, but now today they've been ordered to, to be reopened, uh, especially for South African uh, visitors from South Africa or Israelis returning from South Africa. Um, they say that probably where it's spread the quickest, and the numbers certainly back that out, is in the ultra-Orthodox community. Uh, the ultra-Orthodox community is by far in a way uh, where it's spreading the quickest. I mean, if you just look at the numbers in ultra-Orthodox communities, 25 up to 25% of people being tested are coming back with coronavirus, whereas in other areas like Tel Aviv, it's around 3%. So you see a massive disparity. We saw yesterday, very controversially, uh, a, a massive wedding in one of the anti-Zionist ultra-Orthodox communities of 10,000 people. 
And there's, there's a lot of anger about that. I mean, these things have been ongoing, but even more, uh, you know, which, which drove a lot of people to anger is the fact that police were there, but they refused to break it up. And there's a picture of a policeman going into the wedding and sort of, I would say bowing down, but certainly uh, showing what some would argue is too much respect to some of the leading rabbis who were there. These pictures have been doing the rounds. Apparently the, uh, the police office is now being investigated. They should have shut it down. So it's causing a lot of embarrassment. It's certainly something that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu could do without because he has to remain loyal to the only parties left to him, which is the ultra-Orthodox party. So he's left in a quandary. On the one hand, he has to shut down ultra-Orthodox areas. On the other hand, he, you know, he can't be seen as singling them out because that obviously wouldn't play out well with his political partners. Uh, and some have suggested, going back to the previous question, um, that um, some say, why is there a complete lockdown? Should there be a lockdown of only those areas with high concentration of uh, coronavirus? And those happen to be uh, ultra-Orthodox or Arab areas. And some say that we're going for a complete lockdown just so they won't be, uh, you know, sort of... Uh, singled out. So one last question on this topic. There's been some criticism of Israel for not vaccinating the Palestinians through the Guardian. Um, while the PA has its own Ministry of Health, what help has Israel provided? It's not just the Guardian, NPR, uh, Washington Post and a few others uh, all reported on this. First thing uh, that should be noted is that according to the Oslo Accords, which were signed by Israel and the Palestinians and witnessed by the international community, the Palestinian Authority is in charge of their own healthcare. They have full autonomy on healthcare. In fact, in the agreement itself, and I, and I checked it the other day just to make sure, the Palestinian Authority is in charge of all vaccinations. The Palestinian Authority has, in fact, even uh, negotiated a deal with the Russians for the Sputnik uh, vaccinations. They're also in the WHO program. There's uh, a lot in the, what used to be called third world, but certainly can't compete with, uh, with you know, some of the richer countries of acquiring uh, uh, vaccinations. So the WHO is buying a lot uh, for the third world or you know, developing countries and the Palestinian Authority is, is, is in that. But the other thing that needs to be sa uh, stated is the Palestinian Authority broke off relations at their own behest. Uh, from Israel. So at the moment, there, there are no relations. And what, what is known is the Palestinian Authority has not made any official requests from Israel. But uh, there are reports that dozens of vaccines were given, handed over to the Palestinian Authority by Israel yesterday. It's not known exactly who they're going to go to. Um, but uh, Health Minister Edelstein has said that uh, he doesn't see any scenario where Israel won't eventually help the Palestinians because our communities are so integrated. So the Guardian uh, headline was factually incorrect and obviously was, you know, was there for clickbait and to enrage and, uh, and deflect. Uh, but the fact remains that, uh, you know, the, the, the Palestinian health system is separate. They have their own obligations, they have their own autonomy and Israel is looking after its citizens and the Palestinian Authority should look after its citizens, which it's doing. As I said, it's ordered the Russian and and they think by the end of January or February, they should be getting millions of uh, the Russian vaccine and probably many others. So they're in a better situation than many, other, uh, many others around the world. So if I'm understanding what you were saying earlier, uh, Sa'ar would be able to form a coalition without Netanyahu, but Netanyahu wouldn't be able to form a coalition without Sa'ar? 
that's the way it's looking at the moment. I mean, again, they, these are poll results. Uh, everything could change in the next two and a half months, even a little bit more than that. Uh, so it's, it's you know, it, these are just, you know, poll results. But if the poll results are relatively accurate, then uh, yes, I mean, you never know with Netanyahu, he could be making these deals with other people. Uh, but if everyone who says that they won't sit with Netanyahu continues to say that, then yes, uh, there is no uh, way for Netanyahu to get to a 61 at the moment. Where Saar, if he can bring in all these disparate groups together to sit under him, because he would be obviously the leader of the larger party, then he does have a route uh, to uh, the Prime Minister's office. Another possibility that we haven't spoken about is that we simply go to a fifth election because no one will be able to form a government. That is a very uh, possible scenario. Uh, obviously, the Israeli public hopes not, um, but that will only uh, we'll only know more about that once the election results are in and the, the process of negotiations begin. So even with the successful vaccination program, uh, with only 5% of the economic relief disbursements going out, how is that affecting the government right now, popularity-wise? <laughs> I mean, there's two. There's there's a few sides to it. Likud is is relatively stable, interestingly enough, uh, because whereas on the one hand, yes, there are some who blame it for the economic side of it, but it's getting quite a lot of, uh, you know, sort of, uh, you know, good points for the vaccination program, which is undoubtedly a success, and, and we see it's far beyond anything any other country is doing. Um, blue and white has basically been decimated, as I said. It's uh, it's gone down from, I think, 36, 35, 36 in the last election, something like that. And now it's polling just over the threshold, um, four or five seats. Um, the Haredi parties, the ultra-Orthodox parties have gone down a seat or two, each of them, or Shas has uh, gone down a seat or two. But, uh, you know, when, when we're talking about seats or two, that can always be, uh, you know, one poll will say this and one poll will be that, but they're relatively stable. Maybe, you know, Shas have lost a seat just because, you know, they, they uh, reach out beyond the ultra-Orthodox community itself. Uh, so that's basically the government. Uh, everybody else has kind of left. Derek Heretz, Hauser Hendel have left. Uh, the Labour Party is pretty much not going to exist for the first time in the history of the state of Israel. At this point, it's not polling above the, um, the threshold. That's remarkable for the party which founded the state and ruled the state for the first almost three decades. Uh, that's quite a remarkable uh, feat for Amir Peretz basically to take his party into irrelevance. And there's now a court case. He doesn't want to hold internal primaries. And uh, basically one of his challenges, Meyav um, Mikhaeli has taken him to court to hold primaries and the court has uh, basically sided with uh, Mikhaeli on this. So, the Labour Party is a mess, and it's almost certainly not going to run on its own. So a lot of these parties, by the way, may not end up. There's also Ofer Shelach, we haven't talked about. Yeah, Lapid's number two, uh, pretty much uh, throughout the whole history of Yashatid, he broke off. Uh, he's not polling above the electoral threshold, but it's suggested that he will probably end up in merits. Uh, it's possible Khodei will join with someone else. It's possible there's a lot of permutations also. Yamina seems to be breaking up uh, Bezalo Smotrich, as we said, on the more right-wing religious side of Yamina, the National Union Party. He's basically uh, declared that he's forming a party called the Religious Zionist Party. Um, because remarkably, uh, in a poll the other day, uh, they asked a question, you know, how many people would vote for Yamina? And they 
showed the results and they said, if Bissell Smotrich left Yamina, how many, how many people would vote for it? And they actually would raise by two seats. Usually you lose some seats if a big name leaves your party. But actually it seems to be, uh, uh, you know, it, it would work for Yamina. So there are negotiations between Natalie Bennett and Bissell Smotrich, but it seems like there's a possibility they could, uh, you know, diverge paths. And then the question is, some of these other smaller right-wing uh, right religious splinter parties, if they would come in, if they would go with Bennett, if they would go with Smartridge, lots of sort of uh, uh, combination permutation. So th th there's, there's a lot, st until the lists are closed, um, there's a lot that could change this map. Not, let's just say not massively, because I think the major players are in. Uh, Isencott, a former chief of staff, was going to enter politics, and the big question was where he was going to join. He's decided, and he was worth quite a few seats, uh, according to polls, uh, but he's decided he's not entering at this time. So I don't see any massive changes at this point. Sipi Livni is another one who apparently could return for the, I don't know how many time, um, but I don't see the map uh, changing massively. So it's just a matter of who can get those small amounts of numbers. Because as we talked before, you know, a swing of two, three seats this way, that way can change the map. So. There's going to be a lot of jockeying for position over the next uh, few weeks. Thank you. And for our last question of the day, what are the possible consequences of turmoil in DC to the Middle Eastern North Af and North Africa in terms of Israel's security? The, the current turmoil, uh, as far as what's going on today, um, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm not following that so closely. It, it certainly is, you know, it's uncomfortable to see to see some of these things. Um, but my assumption is it will get sorted out. Uh, President-elect Biden will be sworn in. Uh, and that's really what, what Israel is looking ahead to because it's certainly gonna be a less comfortable uh, four years ahead than it was the last four years. Uh, it'll be very much, you know, in Israel, everybody's waiting. I say Israel at the highest levels, the one thing that they're waiting to see is what's going to happen with Iran. The Palestinian issue, you know, nothing's happened for, many decades, there will be, an, there will be a greater emphasis on this. Uh, maybe we'll see return to sort of the idea of linkage. Maybe we'll see, a, you know, a slightly more frosty relations, but the, the most worrying thing for Prime Minister Netanyahu and many people at, at that level in Israel is what is President Biden going to do with Iran and the JCPOA, whether he's going to return to it, what's going to be the relationship, because Iran, as we've seen, has been enriching over 20%, which is a real game changer. We've heard the condemnations. The question is whether uh, the Americans are going to act, whether the Europeans are going to act, um, because at the moment all, we, all we've heard is that uh, there's an interest uh, in the Biden administration returning America to the agreement. So that's really where a lot of the attention is going to be over the next few weeks. Um, and that's, uh, that, that's where we are today, I think. All right. Well, thank you so much. We've come to the close of our webinar. Actually, thank you again for taking time to update us this week. Uh, for our viewers, please join us Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern for a webinar with Indies and the Needies on Can Greece Provide an Alternative to Turkey and U.S. Strategy? Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a great day, and Happy New Year. Bye.